This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. All right. Welcome to Can You Survive This Podcast. My guest today is an army ranger turned psychedelics advocate and the founder of the Heroic Hearts Project, Jesse Gould. Welcome to Can You Survive This Podcast. I'm happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me and looking forward to this. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. So why don't we uh, jump right in? Can you tell me a little bit about um, briefly like your military background and what drew you to joining the military? Yeah, so I actually had a I guess somewhat unusual uh, trajectory to the military. I actually had a professional career beforehand. So I went to, uh, to Cornell University, got a degree in economics. I was actually working in finance, uh, working at a boutique investment bank on Wall Street. Um, and through a lot of my life, I always had respect for the military. It always intrigued me. I always um, very much respected individuals who joined or served when they didn't have to. Um, just sort of that concept of giving back to something bigger than themselves was always intriguing. And, but not coming from a military family by any means. And so it was just kind of more of some, some idea that was bouncing around my head of like, that's interesting. Maybe that's something I could do, but who knows, you know, when you're a kid and you never know, but for some reason it kind of just grew and grew. And I think there's a combination of events that sort of led me to uh, pull the trigger for lack of a better uh, metaphor. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like going through college, uh, I just didn't get, I thought it was, was going to develop me to the person, the adult, the man that I thought, you know, coming out of it more profound, sophisticated, what have you, whereas I felt it was more high school 2.0. 2.0. And so I think I was just yearning for that, like, coming of age or becoming an, uh, an adult and an individual. Uh, this sort of ceremony that there's a lot of precedents in uh, previous times, but not so much in in, in Western um, context. This sort of putting yourself out there, challenging yourself physically, mentally, seeing what you're made of. Uh, I couldn't describe it at that point, but this is me looking back. I just had this intuition, this gut feeling that whatever college was, I appreciated it, but it didn't make me understand and provide me the confidence the other factor was I graduated in 09, 2009, so right at the, the heart of the financial collapse, uh, which was a very interesting time to be on Wall Street, and it kind of reflected exactly what I didn't want to find for myself, sort of at the, the, that 
that collapse was caused by greed, by self-interest, by not giving back to something bigger. So it all just kind of came together where it was also while Wall Street was burning, I wasn't missing much and um, just became this notion of, you know, why not? If this is something I want to do, let's let's go for it while I'm young and healthy. And uh, so I made that decision and uh, I enlisted, which was also sort of an alternative path. A lot of people with college degrees tend to go uh, commission or officer, uh, but I wanted to get the full experience, start from the bottom. Um, so I went in, enlisted, started at the bottom, ended up uh, getting into ranger selection, uh, passing that, and ended up at a ranger uh, unit. So 1st Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment uh, in Savannah, Georgia. And um, as a lot of special operations selections, a very challenging experience. Uh, the vast majority of the class did not pass. Uh, but then when you pass and you get to your unit, you're still at the very bottom of the rung. So then you have to prove yourself many times over. So over the course of that military career, uh, I did three combat deployments to Afghanistan. Um, and I did actually find, you know, it was very challenging, but I did find as well what I was seeking, more confidence in myself, putting myself to those limits, uh, understanding sort of a completely different dynamic of how the world works from that lens um, I was also, I also um, was promoted rather quickly. And so within a couple of years, I went from bottom, bottom rung to in charge of 30 or so individuals training and then overseas. So that really also instilled a lot of leadership um, knowledge and challenges there, which, you know, uh, then led to other things, including what I'm doing today. And how long uh, were you in the military? I was in pretty quick, so four and a half years. Um, but in that time, it was just a very you know active time. And like I said, just because of the the me able to go through the ranks, went from uh, went to a position that generally takes a lot longer to get to. So kind of got a very condensed military experience in a rather short period of time. Got you. And you mentioned that um, some of the leadership skills that you gained in the military helped you transition into what you're doing today. So do you want to tell us a little bit about the Heroic Hearts Project and, and how that began? Absolutely. So went through the military, uh, ended up getting out. My, my contract expired, and it just didn't make sense at that point to um, extend the contract. I was ready for sort of the next chapter of my life. So did a few different things here and there, just trying to figure out what was next. Ended up going back into finance um, and found a pretty decent job. But at that same time, in that transition, at first I thought I was going to hit the ground running. You know, this finance background, professional background, uh, having the ranger experience, you know, what what, what could stop me? Uh, and it turned out, you know, my own brain was the thing that was going to be the thing that stops me. Uh, but yeah, found a decent job, was doing well on the outside and was performing well and getting promoted. But on the inside, a lot of these mental health struggles really started to affect my life uh, in a pretty noticeable way for me. You know, I was able to hide it effectively uh, from the outside world, but just really starting to struggle with some severe anxiety, severe depression, alcohol abuse to, to deal with it. Um, just all sorts of these very stereotypical uh, PTSD symptoms or war trauma symptoms. And 
fortunately for me, I saw the red flags, you know, I was like, it took a while, but, you know, eventually I, I, I understood that something was wrong and it was beyond my own grasp to figure out. And so I tried a few different things, just, you know, improve my life, make my life healthier, um, you know, like meditating, journaling, going to the gym, eating healthier, all this kind of stuff, but still couldn't get over this, this wall that I kept hitting. Uh, and so I went to the VA, the Department of Veteran Affairs, really with, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm, I was fortunate, you know, I wasn't suicidal, but it was definitely, you know, having an effect on my life. Uh, and I wanted just to see a therapist. But what I was told essentially was, you know, the, the, they were essentially at capacity. Uh, there's just so many veterans with mental health issues and a lot of the VA is understaffed uh, just because it's a very hard job to maintain uh, given the, the overwhelming need. Uh, and also the VA really goes on an evidence-based care, which essentially means talk therapy with the assistance of medication, uh, SSRIs, antidepressants, anti-anxieties. And that, for me, that didn't seem like the next step. You know, I, I, I'd seen the benefits of medication and others, but I'd also seen many of them be on medications for quite a long time, uh, experiencing the side effects many of them not necessarily helping, but just kind of getting them into this lull state where at least they could go day to day, but definitely not thriving. And so that didn't seem appealing as well as for many PTSD becomes almost this life sentence of, you know, we don't necessarily have the tools to help you overcome it, but we can at least help you survive it. And so that <laughs> didn't seem like a, a great option to just um, fall into that, that this is me uh, now. Uh, and that that was essentially when I went to the VA, it was um, introduced that, hey, um, if you want to get help from us, you are, we're going to recommend a protocol. It'll likely involve talk therapy and medication. And if you just say you don't want to do that, as you have expressed, then there's only so much we can do. There's only so many sessions we can give you. And so I kind of walked out of there, you know, without a real sort of answer that um, through the VA, I could get a couple of talk therapy sessions if I didn't do medication. So I was on my own, you know, and, and at that time too, in Ranger, I was a mortarman, uh, which is a high trajectory rocket. Um, and that was my specialty. And so what we're learning now is that veterans, particularly that are exposed to concussive forces on a regular basis, uh, experience uh, micro-traumatic brain injury. So all that concussive blast, you know, damages the brain, shakes the brain, causes inflammation, which then has very similar symptoms as you see in professional athletes, right? Where they get these major concussions and down the line, it leads to um, depression, suicidal um, uh, thinking, uh, you know, um, destabilizing their, their brain and, and psyche. And so you see a lot with the veterans, but it, that's a very emerging um, science. So I wasn't even diagnosed. I had to figure that out for myself. So this combination of my experiences in the military, as well as this undiagnosed traumatic brain injury from my time being around all these explosions. And I just really came to this point where I had to figure out for myself. And I was lucky. I was listening to a podcast I was at this spot in my life where things were kind of on the outside again, maintaining it, but on the inside, just getting the end of the week, super unhappy, super dark, uh, and it wasn't getting better. And I was just starting to really fear what my future would hold 
especially with the the drinking getting out of hand at times. And fortunately, heard this podcast. They're talking about these ayahuasca ceremonies. And for people unfamiliar, ayahuasca is this psychedelic that originates in the Amazon. It's the combination of two plants, a vine and a leaf that contains a, 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 a compound called DMT. And the combination of those, when they're brewed together, uh, form a thick tea called ayahuasca. And when you drink that, it has a very psychoactive hallucinogenic uh, experience that lasts four to five hours and is very intense. And there's a lot of indigenous tribes that have been doing this for thousands of years all across the Amazon. And really from a Western context has become more popularized in the past few decades of people going there and having these experiences and actually having um, uh, major breakthroughs or, 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 or what have you. So I heard about this, somebody talking about their trip in, in, in the Amazon. At first, I kind of cast it aside as entertaining to listen to, but never done a psychedelic, never had interest, came to uh, the thought of that as most people would, like how is a psychedelic going to help with what I'm going through. And when you start doing drugs, you are a drug user and all this other kind of stuff that we've been indoctrinated to think about uh, our relationship with these substances. So first cast it aside, but more and more as my life was going in a bad trajectory and this was some sort of option. It was just like, why not? What do I have to lose? Like whatever I'm doing, the professionals don't seem to know. So maybe this will be enough to kind of rattle my cage to get me out of whatever funk I was in. And at that time too, I was just ready, whatever life I'd created with my job and all that, I was just completely unhappy, completely unfulfilled and just completely ready to, to leave it, push it behind. And so I just made that decision to uh, go to Peru and try this out and figure out the next chapter of life. Um, and so then going to Peru, found uh, a retreat center that seemed trustworthy in the middle of the Amazon. Um, this was 2017 or 2016, 2017. Uh, and so kind of night and day of what it is today, much less information, kind of had to figure it out and went through this week-long ceremony uh, with, with ayahuasca. This show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. 
Wow. And <clears throat> how much, how much were you, how much alcohol were you consuming when you were, before you went to do this? Like when you were at your low point, like were you drinking every day or how much were you drinking? Yeah. I mean, it would it'd vary, but it was just, no matter how you frame it, it was unhealthy. You know, I was like fortunate that it wasn't like me with a bottle of Jack Daniels next to my bed, but I'd go after work to the bar to the point where at least I'd get drunk and go home. You know, if I had a six pack at home and I'd drink that before it got to some nights where I was just so deep in depression mode and, and kind of in this like gray that I couldn't even fall asleep. And so then just drink till I passed out. So then at least I get some sleep. Uh, it was just, it was a very common theme in my life, you know, um, it wouldn't be like I have to do it every day and it wouldn't be that, but it got to a point where it was problematic or it got to a point where I'd be hang hung over before work and have, have to have a beer to just kind of like get in a functional mode, uh, kind of thing. So definitely not a healthy relationship with it. Yeah. I was, uh, it was definitely a, like completely into the category of self-medicating, but I also, I was aware of it too. You know, it was, one of those things of like, what, what else, but what else do I have? I either have to go on pretty intense medications, which have their own side effects or the medication that I know, which has its own problems, but at least it was getting me to the next day. Right. So it was just like, I know this is a problem, but what other option do I have? Because beyond this, when I, even there'd be weeks where I'd be able to come off, like not drink, like I could come off of it, but I'd still be miserable. It's not like things would go away, you know? Yeah. So you're in kind of a dark place and then you hear about ayahuasca on this podcast and you decide to give that a try. Was there much like preparation involved? Like, did you cut the drinking out before you went down to Peru or what can you tell us a little bit about the preparation before you went? Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, there really wasn't. I mean, there's some guidelines, but the, there wasn't that much. Like, it's any of some emails and some things to read and some dietary um, uh, things to, to follow. So I, I try to follow that as much as possible um, and did my best uh, to like cut back on the drinking and all that kind of stuff. Definitely didn't follow it to a T uh, just because I didn't really know, you know, I wasn't a believer. I was kind of going in skeptically and like a last ditch effort. So it's like, all right, yeah, I won't eat pork or what have you, but there wasn't a rhyme or reason to it. It was just like, okay, yeah, let me, let me just do this. Um, and so yeah, doing that, but there really was not like preparation, uh, which kind of, you know, and we'll get to this little bit was the inspiration for Hero Cards Project. 
Got you. And I am curious about, um, we'll talk about heroic hearts in just a second, because that is really important, but I'm curious. So you went to your first retreat in Peru in like 16, 2016 or 17. Was this like indigenous, um, Peruvian shamans kind of running the ceremony, but was it like a retreat center started by Western people? Can you tell us a little bit about like, what was the kind of setup down there? Yeah, it was um, actually, it's a place called uh, Spirit Quest in Iquitos, Peru. Our mutual friend Cody uh, has gone there um, and actually, you know, met, met his mom there. Uh, so it was it was one of the ones that had been there for a while um, and very much in the indigenous tradition. I think it was run by a Westerner, uh, a man named Don Howard, but he was kind of known even there as he, he was a healer himself. He was known as Gringo Shaman. And so he would run retreats, but in, in accordance with um, indigenous uh, healers as well. So at the actual ceremonies, it'd be the combination of them. And, but I think it was his retreat center. Um, yeah. And it was in the middle of the Amazon, uh, you know, he had to take a long boat there, very rustic, um and then you're there isolated for a week uh some people say two weeks with other options uh and then you're doing multiple ceremonies over the course of that week so you're there for a week and you're drinking ayahuasca like three four five times in that week yeah four four ceremonies of the course of the week so generally we got there it was with a group you know I, i went there by myself so i didn't know anybody um some had been return visitors, and so they're telling us about why they were coming back and benefits they had, but most of it was about 20, 25 people, and then you get there, first day is kind of orientation and uh, getting your two rooms and, you know, all that kind of stuff. The next day is the, the first ceremony, so they have all the buildup, and, you know, you have the group circles talking about your intentions as to why you're there. So they do two back-to-back ceremonies, a day break, and then two back-to-back ceremonies, and then a day of rest, and then everybody leaves. So it's two nights in a row, and then a night off, and then two more nights in a row. Yeah, correct. And is it uh, is it very like after one night, or is anyone there like, oh god, I don't know if I can do that again? Like, is it a pretty big, challenging experience? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, and. <laughs> And, and but that's also potentially the reason it works, right? Because the with these treatments, they uh, they they bring up a lot of the trauma, a lot of the things that you've been compartmentalizing or not addressing, and it almost forces you to contend with it. So that's part of that challenge. And as a psychedelic, it has you contend with it on many different layers, whether it's emotional, spiritual, psychological, and all that can hit you all at once which is hard to comprehend, but makes sense to anybody who's gone through that experience. And so, yeah, for me and many others, um, especially me coming from a, to a no, from a no psychedelic spot to one of the more powerful ones, it just completely, you know, was a sledgehammer, a, a truck, a train to, to the full body, just completely miserable and, and uh, terrifying and, just surrounded me in anxiety and chaos and was puking through the night for the first two. The second one was 10 times worse than the first to the point where, you know, I had the fear of God in my eyes afterwards. Uh, it was, yeah, it was definitely intense. Um, 
but coming from I think really that that military side of things uh I, I think that added to it a little bit where it gave me respect for it right it wasn't just this happy laid back sort of experience that we think with psychedelics that you're just having fun and seeing shapes it was intense it was a power onto its own that you have to respect and there was a depth to it that I couldn't really put my finger on but it was it was, it was more than I thought it was would be it was it was way beyond my comprehension and it absolutely was not what you know the dare program or drug education in the u.s had taught me you know it was completely outside of any of those realms and so you know i was there and many others were some didn't but many were were having their own struggles and so at least it was kind of misery and company uh that it wasn't wasn't just me that was reacting badly um but I stuck to it and went to the third ceremony and the fourth and had the breakthrough. Uh, eventually in the third ceremony, when it was all chaos and I was like ready to tap out and finally reached in and showed me how to be in, in a peaceful spot and almost dra- drug me to this completely serene spot where before I was just anxious and couldn't stand still and trying to ground and just puking and just uncomfortable and and um like suffocating to just complete serenity and peace and through that third ceremony it's kind of a back and forth because my brain would be worried about going back to the horrible spot and that would make me go to the horse horrible spot and then drag me back to the peaceful so it's almost like it was training me to uh, one this was an option of where i wanted to stay but also how to stay there and not let these pervasive thoughts take control and and grab me to to this other dynamic which I had been living in in my conscious state without my knowing that was all the 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 negative things I was bringing into my life and then the fourth I was able to really you know tap into that and stay into that and then that's when a lot of the peace and revolution uh resolutions and and just um some guidance came along you know I was essentially left my previous life behind in Florida and in the finance and uh, was obviously uh, anxious about what was to come, you know, what, what the next trajectory would be. You know, uh, I was just at that spot going there to essentially save my life and didn't have a much plan beyond that. And, you know, one of the big messages was that I, you know, it's, it's fine. Like I'll figure it out, you know, just that self-confidence of, I have the tools to, to make it happen and try to enjoy the ride as much as possible. And just sort of this realization that when I was in my previous job, it was a corporate finance job. And part of the thing that was really getting to me was just, there's just this lack of purpose, you know, I was working deep into the night, long hours and, and exhausting and it was all to, you know, make this giant international company, save them a little bit more money or what have you. Uh, and, you know, as a corporate job, it really kind of takes away your own creativity because you're just trying to automate systems. And it's just kind of this repeated pattern over and over again. So just kind of that realization of like, yeah, you, there, it's going to be a bumpy road ahead, but use your creativity. You enjoy the challenge. Um, you have the skills, you have the tools to figure out what, ever next just try to make smart decisions and uh just you know try to stay present as much as possible and had somebody told me that straight to my face beforehand it'd be like yeah cool dude like whatever but that's the power of psychedelics is that you are one kind of telling yourself in a way but also you're understanding it on a much deeper subconscious level 
So it's the same thing with a lot of the veterans we serve beforehand. It could be like, hey, you don't need to be guilty or love yourself or, or don't give yourself such a hard time. And you could repeat that mantra and over and over again. But a psychedelic experience oftentimes allows you to internalize that and to actually understand that, actually live that in a much deeper, more profound way, which is one of the remarkable dynamics of, of their power. Yeah, amazing. So thank you for sharing that. It sounds like um, even though the first couple of nights were really challenging, you got a lot of transformation and healing from it by sticking with it. And uh, there's a saying that I like, um, it's just kind of like a cutesy saying, but it's the saying is you got to feel it to heal it. And as you were telling your story, what was what was coming to my mind was like, for the first couple nights, you it, the medicine was almost like making you feel through all these challenging things that you had in your life, such as anxiety and all this discomfort. And once you felt through all that discomfort, you broke through into like your your transformational healed state which is like um you said it was like a very serene and peaceful place absolutely and you know that's one of the the reasons i think psychedelics work so effectively because it it forces you to feel it it forces you to actually process this uh it kind of goes into this sort of mindfulness emotional intelligence a lot of us you know these these skill sets they need to be trained and practiced uh but we don't really uh, encourage them from an early age. So a lot of us, a lot of us are kind of going through life kind of dumb on the emotional side, right? Uh, some of us figure it out as we go, but we're not trained at all. We're really trained in uh, overwhelmingly logical sort of thing, you know, overwhelmingly, how do you process this? Does this make sense? Versus, you know, it's always just like, you know, don't express, especially for men, you know, don't express emotions, sweep it under the rug, especially in the military. We're great at compartmentalization. But if you have trauma, you need, doesn't mean that everybody needs to cry, but you need to process it. You need to face it. You need to explore those feelings because if you just suppress it, it gets stored in your body and your mind and your psyche. And it just causes health and uh, health detriments physically and mentally. And what the psychedelics do is seems to suppress the things in our brain that control those containers of compartmentalization, but also it brings up to surface a lot of these things and it's often experienced in beyond a word or beyond a logic, which is why it's so hard to explain these experiences to somebody that's never been it because it's beyond words, right? But it brings up these emotions, which can be very intense and almost forces you to face them, forces you to process them, forces you to uh, look into them. And then you have the added tools of the psychedelic where it's connecting different parts of your brain, bringing that creativity to where oftentimes you can reframe things. So we, we often have a lot of people that have childhood trauma and they just never really addressed it. And these experiences can bring them back to that, but then also help them reframe the experience or see their life in a different way than they had been and understand that they deserve love, that that wasn't their fault or look how strong they've become uh, or regardless of that, you know, and give them that, that sort of pride and, have that trauma the trauma is always going to be there it's just how we store it in our brain and the emotions attach whether we process them uh, in a healthy manner i'm just i'm blown away that 
people in the Amazon rainforest figured this out thousands of years ago. And our culture is like just now catching up in the last like decade or two. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of a common case with a lot of things, you know, we, Western medicine has done great things and, and Western technology has done great things, but a lot of it has been built on indigenous wisdom and practices. Even a lot of our medications come from plants in the Amazon or other places. And early on, they would go to some of these indigenous wise men or healers and just have them like, okay, this tree we use for this. And, you know, not all of it um, comes out, but for instance, um, I think it's acetaminophen or either Tylenol or, or ibuprofen. One of them comes from like a tree bark. I was and just going to say, I was just going to say that I thought, I thought it was like aspirin is synthesized yeah. from, from a tree bark. And, and even early on, and even to this day, I don't think they fully understand completely how it works. It's just one of those cases that it works. And, you know, this, these, this is knowledge that has been known by uh, people there. Maybe they didn't know the chemical properties or that, but they understood. And you can still go to this day to some of these uh, healers and they can point to different trees and, you know, understand that this helped, you know, fight bacteria or whatever this helps with stomachs again they might not say that specifically but they understand the usage case and so that is a commonality so it's not surprising from that dynamic i think the disconnect is in western side we've just become a little bit more um if it's not if it's not coming from that tradition then it's kind of bullshit right or we, we just don't respect anything else because it's not in the highest scientific fashion and that's kind of been that trend for the past couple of years and again we've we've created a lot of different things but i think there also needs to be more humility of these things that have evolved throughout history a common example is just in the past 20 or so years if you if you talk to somebody in the 1980s 1990s about yoga most people would be like okay you're a yuppie or a hippie or whatever but now it's common practice like now it's even these things yoga breath work meditation are taught in the military right uh before it's just like okay you're doing this weird practice uh but now we actually understand meditation has health benefits it's a pretty widely known sort of thing and these all come from much ancient traditions cultures that Western medicine didn't have the proof behind. And so until they did, it was BS. But now that there's scientific, Western scientific evidence, oh, okay, yeah, these are acceptable. So that's that's kind of that trend we're going into. And that's sort of the same thing we're seeing with psychedelics, um, where we have to get the scientific method to approve of it before what everybody has already seen for tons of years and thousands if not tens of thousands of patients is not validated until it goes through these clinical trials which involve like 100 people and again i understand the 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 method of it but it can be if you zoom out a little bit a little bit ridiculous as well that that's very well said um that uh bringing the humility and how in the west we really want that like scientific method research um, and I want to talk a little bit because I think you guys are doing a lot of that type of research, um, which is so important. But why don't we back up just a tiny bit? So you got pretty much a sounds like a very transformational and healing experience when you went to the jungle. And maybe you got some insights into yourself and your own creativity. And is that what led you to starting the Heroic Hearts Project? 
Yeah, so I came out of that retreat and many of the other guests around me also had some pretty transformational experiences too. So while I was there, you know, and you can cast it away of like placebo and group think or whatever, but there's pretty phenomenal uh, things I was seeing. And also for me, from the psychological side, I also mentioned a traumatic brain injury. It also, my brain felt like it was functioning in the correct manner for the first time since I remember, right? And these benefits lasted. It wasn't just there, I felt good and then went back home and uh, I haven't had anxiety or depression or hypervigilance to the same extent since uh, that that time there. Uh, still have anxiety and still have different things. You know, it's it's not magic, but not to the same overwhelming extent that it was and just many other small changes. So I came out of that. And again, there was not really that a lot of the retreats were like, you go there and then good luck with the rest of your life. There wasn't preparation. There wasn't that much aftercare. And so I was coming out of that like, oh, this is amazing, but what's next? And like, what the hell was that? Like, how do I even internalize this? And what's next? And just started talking to people, started sharing my experience with other veterans and got really good reception from them. And that kind of surprised me. I thought I was going to get kind of a knee jerk. That's crazy reaction, but that wasn't the case. And at the same time, just continued to lose a lot of friends I'd served with uh, to suicide and many others that I saw just going down the, the same sort of bad trajectories. And, you know, I felt very fortunate that I stumbled on this, that, you know, it was really by luck and that I found a good place to do it. And that more and more became this sort of like obligation of, well, you, you, you've been fortunate that you stumbled into this, you can help others. So you're kind of obligated to do that. Um, and like I left my previous job behind. So, you know, it kind of became this thing I couldn't ignore of like, okay, how do I spread this word? Uh, how do I learn from my own experiences of what I think could have been done better or set me up for better success that I didn't have in terms of that preparation and post integration. And that's essentially how Heroic Arts uh, project form of just looking into that, figuring out how to start a nonprofit um, and then trying to build a program of the things that I think could make it better. So one, to educate other veterans, to talk to them in a way that's more approachable, kind of getting out of the the things that I thought would uh, deter them from going, you know, going too into the the wild, crazy or hippie speak or whatever, just, you know, relating to fellow veterans in, in a very direct way and the language that I knew can make this more approachable. And then, you know, slowly but surely designing a program where I could connect those who wanted to go uh, to retreat centers that I felt comfortable with, and then also give them the guidance on how to best approach it, right? So that's kind of what evolved to what we have today, where we do four to six weeks of preparatory work with one-on-one peer support coaching, group coaching, uh, dietary guidelines, mindfulness courses, we have retreat center partnerships in different countries that we vetted, make sure they're safe, make sure they're at the top of the line uh, and that they have respect for the indigenous practices and give back to those communities. Uh, and then the aftercare, the integration. So follow-up months of more individual group coaching and then follow-up. We do monthly alum calls open to everybody. So in perpetuity. And then, you know, you mentioned the Hope Project. We merged with them because they were doing the same thing for spouses. And so we now have it all under one roof. So every veteran that goes through our program, their spouse also gets coaching. And then those spouses also have the opportunity to go on their own retreat. So it's not just the veteran healing, it's the whole family dynamic, which is very powerful because 
oftentimes the spouses of military, they have secondary PTSD or they have their own trauma. They have all this stuff from dealing with a veteran that has been going through all of this stuff and they've been holding down the household while the, the veteran is deployed and they've been having to deal with the outbursts or what have you. And oftentimes they're the ones that get the least amount of attention. So having that heal as well is a very powerful thing that also just starts to break uh, generational trauma. You know, you often see with Vietnam vets, you know, their kids will have often, they have a higher rates of alcoholism. They have higher rates of being, uh, having your issues or abuse or what have you. And it's just this generational cycle. And so if we can break that, then not only helping the veteran now, but future generations of their kids. That's amazing. That's amazing. So basically if, if someone comes to you, if a veteran comes to you and they're struggling, you do everything from sending them to a retreat center, but also all the preparation leading up to it and all the post integration after it. Yeah, absolutely. So a full program that if they're going to this and, you know, we're not pushing anybody that's not comfortable. It's people who the, the typical person has gone through the VA. They've been in therapy for years, if not decades, they've tried all sorts of medications. They've tried EMDR, different talk therapies, prolonged exposure. The vast majority have been through the system and are just coming out the other end worse off or just numb to it all near the point of hopelessness. And they're coming to us oftentimes out of desperation, out of a, almost a last hope sort of thing. And so our job is to, if they are doing this, make sh making sure it's absolutely safe for them and making sure they have all the tools to get the most out of it. Like I said, you know, the psychedelic, it's not a magic pill and it's not a medication. It's a tool. It helps people explore uh, the issues that they're going through. It helps them reframe the issues and it helps heal uh, what research is showing heal on a physical basis as well. But they still, if they have some sort of message or they have some sort of understanding, they still need to incorporate that into their life, right? It's not, it's not a, I have a headache, let me take a Tylenol. It's let me show you the things in your life that have led you to be in this bad spot and give you the tools to help change that but that person still needs to change that, right? If they go right back into their old patterns, a lot of that old trauma is going right, to come right back. And so that's why you need this support and work with the psychedelic of not just a reliant, uh, dependent relationship with it, but utilizing the tool to its maximum efficacy and then understanding that the work is still uh, oncoming and that you have to have discipline and accountability that's also where a community element comes in of having other veterans go through this, having the peer support coaches support them, having the family, the spouse uh, support them as well. So then that way there's accountability, there's encouragement when people, you know, everybody's going to have highs and lows. So even if they fall back a little bit, there's, there's a group there to help them continue on. When you send someone down to South America, are you sending them with a group of veterans? Yeah, we, we only work with uh, with group therapy dynamics. So generally they go in a group of 10 to 15. Um, just last year, we did the first legal domestic veteran retreat that's ever occurred in the U.S. in Oregon because uh, the laws are changing. And so we did a psilocybin group um, that was, you know, the, the first legal veteran group in the U.S. And the, the benefit of that is generally when we send people overseas, 
they're from all over the U.S. and they they form really strong bonds. Uh, but just the distance can can be hard, and isolation is such a huge aspect of trauma. So what we're trying to build in Oregon by serving the vets there is then we can, on a local basis, have them meet up and support each other in person, and then rebuild a community-based healing that has kind of fallen aside. And so that's really exciting for us because that's going to make it a much, I think, more successful and I think more accessible uh, opportunity for a lot of veterans domestically in the U.S. That's amazing. Um, and what you said, it's, so it's the laws are changing. What, are, what, are you, what is the Heroic Hearts Project doing as far as like research and like legal advocacy? Are you guys doing anything in that kind of realm? Yeah, absolutely. So we're pretty big into research just because, you know, one, the, the anecdotal story, the stories of healing, they're very powerful and they, they do help change minds and, and bring people on board. Uh, but at the end of the day, you need the, the quantitative data for that. And that data also helps us improve the program. It helps us um, better focus on what works, what doesn't work. And so, you know, we've worked with different universities in the past, University of Georgia, we currently have a project with University of Texas, Dell Medical, uh, that's exploring the variety of psychedelics. So we, our main staple is ayahuasca, but we work with psilocybin retreats, ibogaine, ketamine occasionally. So a pretty big variety depending, and it depends on a lot of different factors, but also engaging in research in each of those. And then currently our bigger study with Imperial College of London Every veteran that goes through our program will get a whole slew of surveys uh, to test different metrics. So these are all validated surveys often used by the VA and other uh, research establishments. So depression scales, anxiety scales, PTSD, quality of life. And we do uh, initial ones, follow-up, six-month follow-up, year follow-up. So we're getting pretty good measurements on, on efficacy. One of the smaller studies we just did showed uh, 87% uh, significant efficacy in terms of treating PTSD with ayahuasca, uh, which is quite significant because the VA uh, tends to have a one in three success, uh, one third success rate with a lot of their um, treatment protocols. So a pretty big jump from that. Yeah. Um, and then the other things, you know, since we're small, we're able to do observational studies. So we're really trying to push the envelope in terms of encouraging others to follow suit with this research, because oftentimes research is expensive and it tends to just focus on the main things of how do psilocybin mushrooms help PTSD? How does this help depression? How does this help anxiety? Like the big ticket items, which is great. All that needs to happen, but there's so many other things going on that, you know, we're not to the degree of clinical studies, but we can still get research that's valuable and help guide future research of whether it's worthwhile looking into. So we're doing a study on psychedelics on the effect on gut microbiome, uh, on epigenetic expression, on traumatic brain injury, if it's actually healing the brain physically, on um, inflammatory markers. So people with TBI, they're, they're, they have much more inflammation in the brain. And there's some evidence that the a psychedelic can reduce inflammation, which can help all sorts of other downhill uh, processes. So a pretty wide variety of, of things that, again, early evidence, but if it starts indicating or pointing to a certain direction, one will help us better understand the mechanisms of how these work, but then also hopefully inspire a more holistic approach to mental health. 
because wow. I think that's one of the uh, limitations right now with mental health, you know, with these categorizations, you know, if you come to me with depression, I have sort of a one size fits all you're depressed. This is this medication. This is our process. You could be depressed because you just got fired. You could be depressed because of a death in the family. You could be depressed because of childhood trauma that's unresolved. There's a whole, and you could also with all that process it in a different way than somebody else. And so it's just this very complex thing that I think we're looking at too simplistic and without what's your diet, what's everything else going on in your life? What, how are all these things affecting you that are very important uh, that are not being looked at uh, rigorously right now? That's amazing. Thank you for doing that holistic um, approach because I think that is what people need. I think you really nailed it with like everyone's different. Everyone's processing things different. Um, one thing that really st stuck out for me that you said, though, is it sounded like you said that there's research showing that people are not only getting psychological healing, but they're getting physical healing, like an in inflammation and with like brain issues. It's still very early in the data, so it's not um, it's not proof by any means. Uh, but there was just a study that came out from Stanford uh, that showed a psychedelic called um, Ibogaine. It was actually extremely effective for veterans with traumatic brain injury. Uh, so it improved their cognitive processing and improved a lot of the things that are stereotypical of, of patients with TBI. So that was very promising. There's early evidence that shows reduced inflammation in the brain. Uh, there's early evidence that shows psychedelics can increase plasticity and increase neurogenesis, so creation of new neurons, and also increasing the connections in the brain. So all of those things would uh, potentially uh, benefit the brain on a physical level to the, the degree to which is still uncertain. But, you know, there's also psychedelics that um, people have reported improvements in chronic pain in autoimmune issues and digestion issues, um, all sorts of different things uh, that, you know, is you, you don't really find that that common. Like most medications are pretty direct in terms of what they, they help. Uh, whereas psychedelics are seeing this whole broad uh, array of things where they can possibly either help or at least illuminate more of an understanding on why these things occur and how to treat them in the future. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I had uh, a veteran named Tony Cowden on the show a few weeks ago, and he had worked with Ibogaine, and he had really uh, he had an amazing story with a really transformational, um, positive results. Yeah. So, and is any of this research that you're doing, does it seem like it's leading to changes like within the government? Like is the government giving grants or are they moving towards like a decriminalization or legalization of a lot of these substances? Cause I know a lot of it is only legal, like in South America, but is that changing? Yeah, slowly but surely. And really the veteran voice has been pretty effective and prominent in that. Uh, just given where we're at in the U S you know, there. Fortunately, um, veterans are a very well-trusted and respected group within the U.S., and especially from a political spectrum, whether sincere or not, you know, most politicians have to say, hey, I support the troops, otherwise that's going to be a blow to their, their campaign. And so that's one thing we can utilize. We can put pressure on of like, okay, well, if you're going to utilize this, I support the troops to, to curry favor, then you better back that up. Uh, but just generally broadly in the U.S., you know, we see veterans, a lot of people respect their sacrifice and, and 
are really blown away by how bad the the mental health and the suicide issue is, and they want to help. Um, and so when they hear about these veterans going overseas, that's that's a very big embarrassment and and shock that a veteran has to go overseas to get life saving mental health care. So that has really been a strong message and and at least getting your foot in the door. And that's kind of brought, it's one of the few bipartisan issues where, uh, you know, even very conservative people who you wouldn't normally associate talking about psychedelics because there's that veteran angle, they'll at least entertain the conversation, which is a huge first step. And so we're seeing that actually uh, work out where on a state by state basis, a lot of these states are making their own laws to the point where even Texas passed a psychedelic research bill a couple of years ago where uh, the, 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 the state is funding psychedelic research. Other states have done decriminalization or places like Oregon and Colorado where you can actually access psilocybin therapy from a clinical perspective. So right now in Oregon, you can actually find a clinic and, and uh, go through a psilocybin ceremony legal to that state. On a federal side, because these are federally illegal schedule one similar to like cannabis where some states you can have you can do you know medical cannabis or it's just decriminalized or legalized but it's still tricky because it's illegal federally uh it's the same thing with psychedelics but there's making movement there too on a federal basis very bipartisan uh some bills have been supported by everybody from crenshaw to aoc to Rem paul which are you know all the strange bedfellows the DOD, they just passed a bill, Congress has passed a bill that the DOD has to put $10 million in funding psychedelics this year. And the VA is also now putting some money into clinical studies of psychedelics. So, and a lot of that has just been led by mostly a better voice, not, not to disparage anybody else that's been involved. There, there's been some great cohorts and it, it takes everybody, but really that veteran side has really been that unifier of getting this message across because it is one of those groups that you least associate with with psychedelics or drugs. And so if you get these people with 15 deployments under the belt and they say this weird psychedelic trip in Peru was the thing that saved my life, you know, that's going to get people to listen. Yeah, that that's amazing. And thank you for doing all the work that you do and for doing all the research you do, because I do think, you know, in our society, having those like empirical scientific studies um, are very important for, for, for people to see that. Um, so thanks for doing all that research. And if there's anyone listening who wants to maybe go through your program and, and maybe they, you know, they need help or they're in a dark place and they want to, um, get involved. How does that, how's that work? Yeah. So any veterans, we, we work right now, our, our, our lines are combat related trauma, uh, so veterans that have been in combat that have trauma or military sexual trauma, as well as spouses of veterans. Uh, so those are the, the main applicants. So for those who are struggling and or interested, they can go to our website, heroicheartsproject.org, and then they can fill out an application. And then once they fill out the application, we do rolling admissions. So we have we release retreats uh, on a quarterly basis, and that way... We have a huge demand, but we try to make it as fair as possible. And once they fill out the application, then we do a whole intake process just to make sure it's safe and uh, we get the right people to the right seats. Uh, and for anybody that's just looking for information, they can go to our website or reach out or go to our social media, Heroic Hearts Project on Instagram mainly. And we are a 501c3 nonprofit. So 
the only way we're able to support these veterans is through donations. We're completely privately supported. Uh, there's not really federal grants for this, unfortunately, just because it's still so new. And so it really has been the generosity of individuals uh, donating. So if you are encouraged to donate and you want to support veterans and you want to push forward this breakthrough therapy, uh, we really encourage you to, to go to our website and uh, help us out with a donation. Yeah, that, that's really important. Anyone listening that wants to be involved in that way, um, please do, because you'd be helping the veteran community. Um, and so if a veteran jumps on there and fills out the application, do you get back to them pretty quickly? Or you're going to get back to anyone who fills out an application, they're going to hear back from you guys? Yeah, they'll, they'll get the like immediate email that the their application was received. And then it might take, um, you know, a week or two to get the the process going and all that kind of stuff because we do get a lot of application applicants but they will get they will hear back from us amazing so heroicheartsproject.org is the website and instagram.com or instagram heroic hearts project at heroic heart heroic hearts yeah. project yeah amazing exactly. amazing thank you for doing all that work um and i just want to check in because this is can you survive this podcast I want to see, do you have time for a hypothetical survival scenario? Let's do it. Amazing. And I got, I have three options for you. I'll let you choose. I have a military survival scenario. I have an urban survival scenario and I have a solo mission. So I guess I have to go with the military, you know, put myself up for potential extreme embarrassment, but you know, what's this is got to go for it. Right. Amazing. All right. Let me see. Let me grab my notes really quick. All right. Here we go. Can you survive this podcast? Hypothetical survival scenario with Jesse Gold of the Heroic Hearts Project. For this scenario, you are a lone soldier who's been separated from your unit during a mission in a hostile city. Your radio is broken and you have no way to contact anyone for help. You must navigate the city and survive until you can find your way back to safety. First question, do you A, try to find a high vantage point to get your bearings, or B, stay put and wait for your unit to find you? Um, I'm going to go with A. A is correct. And by the way, I do want to add a note. If I give you an A and a B and you feel like you would do C, you can always give me your interpretation. It's it's up for negotiation. Uh, All right. But first question, you got it right. A, try to find a high vantage point where you can get your bearings. So you find a high vantage point. You decide to find a high vantage point to get your bearings. You climb a tall building and see that you're several blocks away from your unit's last known location. As you start to make your way towards them, you hear gunfire in the distance. Do you A, head towards the gunfire, or B, avoid the gunfire and take a different route towards your unit? Um, I would probably do B. B is correct. You decide to avoid the gunfire and take a different route towards your unit. 
As you make your way through the streets, you come across a group of hostile fighters. Do you A, engage the fighters in a firefight, or B, try to sneak past them unnoticed? B. B is correct. You're on a roll. Uh, you decide to try to you decide to try to sneak past the fighters unnoticed. You manage to make it past them, but as you continue towards your unit, you come across a collapsed building blocking your path. Do you A climb over the rubble or B go back the way you came? Um I mean C would be try to find an alternative route. Uh, because I wouldn't sneak if well if B is like back to sneak past the people then no so I'll go with A but ideally try to find an alternative route. You got it. You got it. I think you're you're totally on the right track. That alternative route C would be the best option. But for this scenario, you also got it correct. A um, rather than going back, you don't want to go back towards the hostiles. So you go with A. And you decide to try to climb over the rubble. As you do, you accidentally trigger a booby trap that sets off an explosion and knocks you to the ground. Do you A, assess your injuries and take necessary first aid measures, or B, ignore your injuries and continue towards your unit? Always A. Always A. You're, you're rocking it. A is correct. You take necessary first aid measures. Then you realize there's enemies closing in on your six. Do you A, crawl into a nearby sewer system, or B, hide in the rubble? Uh, I'll go with A. Correct again. A, you navigate the drainage system to the rendezvous point. When you get there, you find your unit has already moved on to a different location. Do you A, head straight to the next rendezvous point, or B, rest and assess your situation? Uh, B. You're going with B? Mm-hmm. I have A on my paper. I have A, okay. head, head straight to the next rendezvous point. It depends on how long the rest is, you know, but you always want to reassess your, your situation and all that kind of stuff. So I'd go with like a tactical pause there. Okay. Tactical pause. That, that's acceptable. You're still you're still surviving so far. Um, so you take your tactical pause, then you continue to the next rendezvous point. As you do, you come across a wounded civilian who needs medical attention. Do you A, ignore the civilian and continue towards the rendezvous point, or B, provide medical aid to the civilian? Uh... Well, I mean, this is if it's just survival, you uh, go to the unit. Uh, if you are surviving, you're conscious. I would uh, assess how bad the I'll do a quick assessment of how bad the damage is, uh, and then if it was a quick help, then I'll do that. If it was more, and I was really keen on surviving, then I'm just go to my unit. Yeah, fantastic. That that was actually the last question, and it kind of could have gone either way. Um, but I like I like your thought process. You help them if you can. If it's a big ordeal, then you just got to keep moving. Um, so for this scenario, you render a little bit of aid. After you treat him, you continue towards the rendezvous point. Um, and finally, you reach the rendezvous point. You meet up with your unit. 
and together you are able to call for extraction and make it safely back to base. Congratulations, you have survived this podcast. Hooray. <laughs> I didn't completely embarrass myself. No, you 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 were on a roll, man. You you flew through that thing. Um so yeah, that's just something we like to do for uh it's the traditional can you survive this podcast hypothetical survival scenario. So thank you for playing along. Um and yeah, thanks for all the work that you're doing with veterans. Um I, I think it's amazing all the research and all the things that you're doing for spouses as well by partnering with the Hope Project. Um so I think we said it before the survival scenario, but before we wrap up, do you want to share one more time how people can find you, how people can get involved, et cetera? Absolutely. And, and thanks so much for this. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, HeroicHeartsProject.org or at HeroicHeartsProject on Instagram. Um, and for veterans, they can go there. There's a website, there's education, or there's a application, there's education uh, to sign up and learn more about what we're doing. For those that want to support, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a huge amount. Every little bit counts for the veterans and the spouses, full family. Uh, so please head to our website, contribute what you can, uh, or share the website with those that you feel like could be helpful for us. Uh, this really is not only helping veterans, but it is changing mental health. So beyond the veteran landscape, this is going to have ripple effects in in all that we know and love that are struggling with mental trauma. So we really hope that you support us uh, pushing this forward. Amazing. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, bye everyone. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.